we read our sermon text today, I'd like to begin by reading slash praying a prayer from our Puritan uh, forebearers. This is a prayer that they would use in the morning for Sunday worship. I'm only going to read a portion of it. And they pray here. Sovereign Lord, thy will is supreme in heaven and earth, and all beings are creatures of thy power. Thou art the father of our spirits. Thy inspiration gives us understanding. Thy providence governs our lives. But, O God, we are sinners in thy sight, and thou hast judged us so. And if we deny it, we make thee a liar. Yet in Christ, thou art reconciled to thy rebellious subjects. Give us the ear of faith to hear, and the eye of faith to see him, and the hand of faith to receive him, and the appetite of faith to feed upon him, that we might find in him light, riches, honor, and eternal life. Amen. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord from the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 4, verses 12 to 23. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. In the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles... The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. Well, so far this Epiphany season, we have been leaning, or I've been forcing you to rather lean, into this theme of identification in Christ. Now, obviously the major theme of the season of Epiphany is this idea of manifestation or the revealing of Jesus as the Christ, the revealing and the manifestation of him as the long-anticipated Messiah who would reconcile fallen humanity to a holy God. But as we've seen over the last two Sundays, in his baptism, not only was Jesus manifested and revealed to be the Christ, but he also identified himself with those whom he came to save. And so I've made this statement the last two weeks, and I'll make it again. We can understand that Christ has identified with us in his baptism so that we might be able to identify with him in ours. But then last week, we skipped over to John chapter 1, 
And we noticed how through the example of the calling of the first disciples that John records, which are these same four disciples that we see in our text today, we see in that example that we are not only able to identify with Christ in his baptism and ours, but in fact he becomes our identity or our identity starts to be found in him. So if, if our only hope in life and in death is that we are not our own but belong body and soul to God and to our Savior Jesus Christ, if that is our only hope, then everything depends upon our identity in Jesus, our eternal security, our salvation, our standing before a holy God, our hope in a bodily resurrection, all of it depends on how we are identified in and with Christ Jesus. And so today, as we shift back to Matthew's gospel for the rest of the Epiphany season, we start to see this idea, this theme of identification take on even more depth. And we're going to continue exploring this as we go through the rest of the Matthew readings for this season. But as fallen sinners in need of, the, of an intervention by God himself, our identification with Christ begins, as we see here, not only with him identifying in us or with us, but also by him calling us to repentance by the proclamation of his gospel. And so this call, this proclamation starts, as we see just beginning here in our, in our uh, passage today, it begins with a transition in ministry. So again, we saw this last week in John's gospel where John the Baptist proclaims multiple times when he sees Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then in the latter half of that passage last week, he, we see that he proclaims this to his disciples who then get up, leave, stop following John, and then begin following Jesus instead. But here in this, te- in this text, in Matthew chapter 4, Matthew offers a note of transition that at least for me, rings a little bit more, quote-unquote, permanent. Um, Because John, the Baptist, is not here simply proclaiming, pointing to Jesus and proclaiming him to be the Lamb of God. Instead, what Matthew does is he tells us John has been arrested. He's been completely taken off the scene. He's out of the picture at this point. And he has, to quote John the Baptist from John chapter 3.30, John the Baptist has now decreased so that Christ might increase. But... Unlike the transition that John gives us in his gospel, Matthew starts to utilize geographical details to mark this transition between the ministries of John the Baptist and Jesus. And he tells us here at the start of our text that Jesus, he says, withdrew, or some translations might read departed, to Galilee. Again, just beginning now, here again, Every time you come to now, especially in the Gospels, it's, it's a good marker of transition, right? Now, when he heard, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. Now, this might seem like an unimportant detail, but let's be honest. Nothing is in Scripture by accident. And so I was looking at this and preparing for this week and, and noted that some commentators, I think, tried to make a bigger issue than I think is necessary out of this word withdrew. Because in Greek, this could read withdrew, it could read depart, or it could also read fleeing. So like running away. And I don't know why they did this, but some were trying to debate in their own words as to whether or not Jesus was fleeing the same possible danger that caused John to be arrested. So that he could begin in Galilee, which would be not only quote-unquote safer, but also what they assume might be more spiritually fertile areas of ministry. 
I'm going to be honest, uh, to, to quote Walton here, I'm going to put the snake on the table and say I think that's absolutely wrong. So, now I get it, right? I mean, in, in some cases, they're trying in their head to, to, to harmonize the Gospels chronologically. I mean, I'll be honest. Personally, I'm tempted to do that more than I care to admit. I want to try to make sense of timeline sometimes because I have a degree in history. That's just my shtick, right? So we can give them a bit of grace in attempting to do that, but that's not Matthew's point. Not only is that not his point, I don't think that's his point in writing this gospel to begin with. Nor do I think that's the reason why Jesus returns to Galilee. So, and I'm going to say this sarcastically for those listening and not able to be here to see my face make this sarcastic face. I'm going to give you the right interpretation of this, right? Now, there's obviously going to be multiple ways to understand this, but here's the way I'm going to present it today. What I think Matthew is doing here is stressing the importance of how the advancement of the kingdom of God has now transitioned from the one who was to prepare the way to the one who is indeed the way. So let me explain. The one thing to constantly keep in mind And I made a sidebar comment about this last week. But one thing to constantly keep in mind is that Matthew has a penchant. He has an inclination to show us how Jesus fulfills Old Testament prophecy of the promised Christ. And so if we keep that in mind, it will help us to not only better understand Matthew's gospel, but really and especially our text for today, which is what we're going to look at. So Matthew is reminding us, if you were to back up to the baptism of the Lord two weeks in chapter 3 verse 13, he's reminding us that Jesus started off in Galilee. He says this in 3.13, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. So Jesus starts in Galilee, comes to John, identifies with us in baptism, and now he is returning to Galilee to begin his ministry. And so now that John has been arrested, now that this transition has harshly taken place, John is out of the picture Jesus withdraws, he goes back, he departs and goes to Galilee, and then leaving Nazareth, we read, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. In the land of Zebulun, in the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. So here again, right? This may seem like we're, or I'm trying to give more weight to what might be insignificant little details, right? We just, we come to this sometimes and we want to skip over it and immediately get over to what we call, would call the quote-unquote good stuff about fishers of men, right? We like that passage a whole lot more than trying to work out all this other stuff. But to do so would be, frankly, to miss very significant reasons as to why the Holy Spirit inspired this, why Jesus did this, and why Matthew wrote this. Especially if we're trying to figure out how we identify ourselves in Christ. So again, remember, Matthew, is, his, his point is to focus on how Jesus fulfills prophecy of the Messiah. In this passage alone, this is now the fifth time in four chapters Matthew has said directly, that something has now been fulfilled in Jesus. And each and every time he notes this, his purpose is for us as his readers to notice how every single little detail of Jesus' ministry conforms to God's eternal plan of redemption. This is not by accident. 
And so Jesus doing something as quote-unquote minor in our minds as moving back to Galilee, first to Nazareth, his hometown, and then to Capernaum by the sea, is not by accident. This is not because Jesus didn't move home to Nazareth because he missed his mom and he wanted to taste her cooking. And he didn't move to Capernaum because he wanted seaside balcony views in his apartment, right? This is not why he did this. He did this in order to purposefully fulfill prophecy about the Messiah. And in this one simple act, what Matthew is helping us see is that Jesus is not only the better Adam, as Paul will explain more fully in Romans. And Matthew is helping us to see that Jesus is not only the better Moses, as the author of Hebrews would explain more fully. But also Matthew is showing us that Jesus is the better Israel from whom God's Israel would come. Because by the seemingly insignificant act, Jesus is identifying again with his people. Now, we've noted this in his baptism. We'll see it again during Lent in his wilderness temptation. But let's look at this historically and contextually to understand how Jesus is identifying with us as his people by moving to Capernaum by the sea. But we'll also see in doing this how repentance actually works. So again, listen to verses 12 through 15 again. And note, if you've got a pen and you want to underline or highlight, you're welcome to. But pay special attention to the locations that Matthew mentions. So again, he says this. Now, when Jesus had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled in the land of Zebulun, in the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. So first, did you notice the tribes that Matthew mentions here? He mentions Zebulun and he mentions Naphtali. These are two of the 12 tribes of Israel, and specifically they are two of the 10 tribes that belong to the northern kingdom of Israel. But Jesus doesn't just move to Zebulun and Naphtali. Matthew also mentions that Jesus moves into Capernaum by the sea, which is part of Galilee of the Gentiles. So here's where history becomes helpful. And it will actually really help us make sense of our identification in Christ and repentance. So God handed over, and we started talking about this some even in Sunday school right now, God has handed over the northern kingdom of Israel to the Assyrian Empire who would later be conquered by Babylon. But he hands them over because of their constant sin and their unrepentant sin against Yahweh. And so when Assyria takes over Israel, they do what they do when a nation conquers another nation. They take their people as slaves and they scatter them among their empire. So Assyria scatters the Israelites to the far reaches of their empire. But at the same time, they don't leave the land barren and empty. They allow their own people or pagan people or Gentile people to move in and to occupy the land of Israel. And so by the time Jesus shows up on the scene, is incarnate, and begins his ministry, many Gentiles are still living in this area by the time he moves into Capernaum in Galilee of the Gentiles. So again, let's try to see how this ties into identification and repentance. Again, verses 14 through 16 so that what, might, what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled in the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, 
The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. The prophecy of Isaiah now begins to come to fruition. By making this move to Capernaum, the light of Christ has dawned upon a people dwelling in darkness. And Jesus both fulfills a prophecy of the Christ while simultaneously identifying himself with his covenant people dwelling in the region. So for the Jews of the first century, their land was a land of darkness. They were occupied again by a Gentile nation. They were occupied by Rome, who were unclean Gentiles whose military presence was an offense to them, especially as they took up residence in their holy city of Jerusalem. And for the Gentiles dwelling in the land, they had no intimate knowledge of Yahweh and his ways. So to put it plainly, the light of Christ, the light that is coming into the world, has dawned upon the spiritual depravity into which the nation had found itself. And so then, dwelling amongst both Jew and Gentile, Jesus now takes up the same message as John the Baptist before him. And he proclaims in verse 17, from that time, from the time of John's arrest and his move to Capernaum, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In essence, Jesus is saying the time of preparation is done. The kingdom is here. It's time to repent. James Boyce, he writes here, he says that although this proclamation from Jesus is very brief, it does tell us a great deal of what we can expect from Jesus and his ministry and his work. He says this because at the heart of Jesus' message is the dawning of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, he says, has now come because the king himself had now come. And this is the essence of the good news of the gospel. The king himself has arrived among us. And so Jesus tells us here, he says that, the, that we can only become part of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven through repentance. By turning away from dwelling in darkness and turning away from dwelling in the region of the shadow of death... And instead, turning towards the great light of the king that has dawned upon the world. And so then we see, through this call of repentance, proclaiming through Galilee, this fulfillment of prophecy by Jesus, this informs how Matthew then records how Jesus calls the first disciples. In the second part of this passage, in verses 18 through 22, we read this. So with that informing it, we read, And while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, whom we saw renamed last week in John 1. Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and followed, and their father and followed him. Now, reading this, if, if I wasn't commenting on it and up here proclaiming it, reading this, just going from Jesus moving to Capernaum and proclaiming repentance and then coming directly to calling the first disciples, at face value, it kind of feels abrupt, right? It's almost like there's no transition here. Why, why is it like this? And absolutely, if we were to approach this section of Matthew out of context in which he sets it, it would feel quite random, right? It would feel 
Like Jesus just happens to be, well, I moved into my apartment in Capernaum. I like the Sea of Galilee. I'm going to go walk along the beach and along the sea. And, oh, here's four fishermen. I like the way they look. So I'm going to call them to this itinerant ministry that I know I'm called to. And in doing so, I'm going to use one of the best spiritual applications of fishing in the history of the world. I'm going to do all of that at the same time. That's what it would feel like if you were to rip it apart out of its context. But again, notice the location where Matthew reminds us that this event takes place. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, well, the Sea of Galilee is in the region of the Gentile, Galilee of the Gentiles, in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. So again, Matthew is pointing us to what seems like a very small, insignificant detail, but Matthew isn't finished showing us how Jesus fulfills prophecy. Nor is he finished pointing us to how Jesus identifies with his covenant people. Only this time, he's being a little sneaky about it, right? He's, he's a little bit more indirect. He's not saying, oh, this is fulfilling this prophecy. So to do this, to, to understand this, we have to do a bit of biblical searching. So let's pretend like we've got a nice you know, Google window open that we're going to do some searching. Isaiah is not the only prophet to prophesy about the coming Christ. So we've got to do a little looking. And we look at other prophets. And then we happen to come across this from Jeremiah chapter 16. Starting in verse 14, God says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when it shall no longer be said, as Yahweh lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as Yahweh lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them. For I will bring them back into their own land that I gave to their fathers. And then he says this, Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares Yahweh, and they shall catch them. And afterward, I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of the clefts of the rocks. So let's try to tie this together. What does this have to do with repentance? And what does it have to do with identifying in Christ? Again, pay attention to the words that Jesus uses to call these disciples. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I am sending for many fishers, declares Yahweh, and they shall catch them. By saying, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, Jesus not only calls these disciples, but within the exact same statement, he equips them and he commissions them. The call to follow me is the call. It's a call to both ministry, but it's also a call to repentance. Saying that I will make you is the equipping. I will make you fishers of men. Paul tells the Thessalonians, he who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. And then fishers of men is the commission itself. And Jesus proclaims to us in Matthew 28, go and make disciples. So let's be very careful not to miss how this relates to how we are identified in Christ. In issuing this call to follow, Matthew illustrates for us that it is Jesus who is the active agent in our discipleship call. He is the one who makes us. He is the one who recreates us in himself, calling each of us to repentance and calling each of us to identify ourselves with him and his work and his ministry and his person. In the Greek, this call to follow, it's an imperative call, meaning it's not suggestive. It's not a simple 
hey, why don't you do this? It is a command. It's an absolute statement. So when Christ calls us, he calls us with the same command. He says, repent and follow me and identify yourself in me. In the equipping, Christ calls us to discipleship and to obedience. He says, I will make you fishers of men. As Bonhoeffer writes, he says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And Paul tells the Colossians, you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. This is the cost of discipleship. This is identifying with Christ. But it is also being equipped by Christ for obedience. Again, as Paul would write in Romans 8.30, he says, To those whom God foreknew, he has predestined and he has called. And those whom he has called, he has justified and he has glorified. And then the commission to be fishers of men has a similar implication to the call to follow. To be fishers of men is indicative or it is an outcome of the call and the commission of Christ. So like the call to follow, to be identified with him, this is not a suggestion. It's a command. It's the cost of discipleship for every believer in Christ. He says, repent, follow me, and I will equip you to make disciples. And then we see here in the example of Peter and Andrew and James and John that they don't hesitate and they don't delay when they hear this call. Matthew tells us very directly, they not only respond to Jesus, but they respond immediately. They get up, they leave their livelihood, and they follow after Christ. And even this is not an incidental detail because through their physical act of getting up and leaving their nets and leaving their father and leaving their boats, they illustrate that they are committed to Jesus. But spiritually, they leave their former way of life to be identified with the way by being identified with Christ himself. And then we come to this verse in, in verse 23 where really we start to see the immediate effects of heeding the call of Christ. We see the effects of repenting and following him and being identified with him. And he says this, Matthew writes, And then he, Jesus, went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So, We can literally understand this if we want to use these methods of interpretation we're talking about on Wednesday nights, right? That we can literally understand this rightly that Jesus did indeed heal actual diseases and sicknesses. We know that he did. But at the same time, we can't miss the spiritual application of what's being proclaimed here, especially as we get ready to come and take Eucharist. So this doesn't mean that repentance and following after Jesus makes life less difficult, Jesus promises us as much in Matthew 5, 12 that we will look at next week. But let's not overlook the progression of what this passage is doing. So here in this one verse, as it caps off this whole text, we see how the teaching and the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom of heaven and how repentance and identifying with Christ leads to our healing. So when Christ calls us to follow him and we repent... And our identity is then found in him. Him, He heals us of our eternal disease that we have inherited from our father Adam. Amen. Now, we are still left with the scars of sin. right? As a dumb illustration, I had chicken pox as a kid like most of us did. And I have scars that are now thankfully hidden by my eyebrows. Right? I scratched my eyes like crazy when I was a kid. 
But they're gone now. But I still have the scars from that disease, from that sickness, from that virus. Just because the disease has been healed doesn't mean that the scars are fully gone on this side of the resurrection. We wait for the return and the bodily resurrection for that promise to be fulfilled. But when we repent and when we turn to Christ and when we place our eternal hopes in him and our identity in him, the disease itself is eternally eradicated. To illustrate this, and then, I, and then we will close, Chromatius, who was a bishop of the late 4th century, comments here, and he says this. He says, the Lord urges us to repent, and he promises to pardon our sins. Rightly, then, does the Lord urge people to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, so that through our repentance we may be made worthy to approach the kingdom of heaven. For no one can receive the grace of God unless one has been cleansed of every stain of sin through our Savior and Lord by repentance. The world today is, it, is as equally dark as it was in Capernaum by the sea in the first century. But the same light of the gospel has still been unveiled and manifested and dawned in the person of Christ Jesus. Now, sadly, we know this. Men and women still continue to prefer the darkness over the light of Christ. But this is where the urging of Christ Jesus to repentance continues to ring true today as much as, much as it did in first century Galilee. Because in Christ Jesus, God still promises to pardon sin and to make us worthy of the kingdom of heaven. So the same call today is this, and then we will... Confess our faith and come to the table. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. Repent and follow Christ. Repent and be equipped and be commissioned to make disciples. And repent and be identified with Jesus, who is our only hope in life and in death. And may God bless the preaching and the teaching of his word. Amen.